Hi, I'm Akhil Arora. And I'm Rohan Nahar. Welcome to The Long Take. This week, we're discussing Class of 83, a new film on Netflix directed by Atul Sabarwal and starring Bobby Deol in the lead. This is going to sound a little biased, Rohan, but for people who haven't watched the film, uh, but for who, those who have watched the film, probably won't. Do you think there is anything redeeming about the movie? Oh, uh, redeeming. I think um, if you take individual frames of it out of context, <laughs> it looks pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it looks does, does it it just like looks like yellow fever to me i mean yeah but that's because you know that it's like a generic cpr toned uh, period movie and all that but if you like just were to randomly uh, select a frame and then look at it i think it looks uh, fine i think i think actually think it looks so fine it's a wallpaper movie you're saying it's a wallpaper movie it's like uh, think of the worst zack snyder movie ever and then just like reduce that also by 100 and uh, yeah that's this yeah but at least it looks nice like zack snyder movie sometimes just like so dark i don't think i can use them as a wallpaper no i like zack snyder movies i mean oh, but okay. yeah I think that's a this podcast. is this is i think it's it looks decent they use like one of those old lenses uh, i feel you know the ones that um, uh, deakins used in uh, jesse james almost so it really kind of uh, the foreground and the background is like really separated i think that's yeah, the, there's a Large separation, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think that was pretty nicely done. It kind of gives it because it's shot digitally, right? Obviously, so they have to use all these weird tricks to kind of make it look like a period movie, which I thought was uh, nice. Obviously, taken in isolation because the rest of the movie is not at all uh, good. Right. So now that we've covered that, what part of it do you hate the most? What I hate the most, I think. What I hate the most is. It's like a twofold thing. I think if either of these aspects had worked, I would have been slightly more positive about my opinion. But uh, both these factors kind of uh, just fell on their face. You know, like the first major problem I had with the movie was uh, the politics of it. I think it's a little icky. Like it made me feel a little. Uh, uncomfortable watching something that's so like gangho about No, I thought it was like irresponsible. I feel like this is one of those movies they will play for like cops in theaters and cops will like stand up and start clapping, which like makes is like haunting for me. Yeah, because there's a certain amount of victimhood also I feel to like uh, uniform these days which people feel that they're attacked all the time so they need to kind of go out of their way and be like really radical in their opinions to find validation really i feel like i mean this is also movies are arriving also in the worst possible time when like you know confidence in police officers is like very low globally of just their actions and we're i mean we're used to like hearing like stuff about encounters quote unquote because honestly can we just call them murders because that's what they are um anyway but that's what the kind of culture we live in and in that culture you produce something like this i just feel like Did you get paid by some police department to make it or what? Yeah, I mean you have all these encounter killings happening uh, in India and then you have uh, all the the police, you know, brutality happening in um and uh, I mean there are obviously protests happening abroad but no one's giving two hoots about uh, what's happening here. I mean I remember there was some online 
outrage for an hour or two when the dubey guy got killed uh, which everyone kind of it was chilling to me because one day earlier people were like ha ye kal marega yeah in the exact same thing the way they described it and there was like yeah this is going to how it's going to happen and then it happened yeah but the, you know what the saddest part about the whole fiasco to me is that i think you and i are in the minority here because we are, we live in a country which celebrates uh, salman khan playing uh, chulbul pande and ajay dev yeah. So I think it's like a double thing, right? I think one sort of it's like a vicious circle almost. So like those movies make it look good, uh, and then people get that opinion of it, and then it happens in real life, and people celebrate that, and both sort of reinforce each other. I think it's pandering to the worst tendencies, uh, you know, of people. And the thing is, you know, with those Singham movies and the Dabang movies, they're like like fifty percent cartoon, right? But this one plays it a little more straight, I would say. Like I went back and watched bits of it again just to kind of make sure that my opinion of it wasn't like I wasn't. Yeah, mis- so there are some parts where I feel like it does um sort of answer to that, you know, uh, in how the mar- bribing of the police officers from the two rival gangs sort of creates an infighting within the you know core of the five people. That is one aspect, and the fact that one of them is literally killed by mobsters. So those are two sort of elements that the movie puts forth as you know. Like if you do these kind of stuff, you can expect payback in this sort of variety. Is that yeah? But like for most of it, like we, they have lines like antibodies ki tarha to me force ke under inject. Yeah, which is the problem, right? So these two elements are basically put in a context which is not very good or responsible because the movie begins with this quote of how sometimes you have to bend the law, whatever sort of. you know bs yeah yeah kabhi kabhi order ke liye hmm. yeah and then then it's repeats and movie ends with that quote so which is how you contextualize it right yeah. so it's not just about what you show on screen but it's also how the movie sees it yeah and the movie sees it through this voiceover or the constant narration from one of the characters and that is problematic here yeah it starts and ends with the same thing and all it says is that we've come full circle but we haven't really evolved what i found also problematic about the movie is that at no point does do any of these characters feel bad about what they're doing it's like well documented this period in mumbai's history that these guys the young cadets that we see in the film being uh, taken under the wing of bobby deol's character these are the guys who would go on to cleanse uh, mumbai of its gang problem in the 90s right so it's not like they went through this uh, period in their careers and kind of had a change of heart or any of that <laughs> no. or like felt bad They're probably about- like some of them are probably still like at the highest upper echelons of the police force in bombay who knows yeah rakesh maria was uh, commissioner during the uh, the terror attacks in 2008 uh, another guy went and entered politics which is kind of what they echo in this movie as well uh, if you read the title card at the end uh, Vijay Singh Bobby Deol's character goes and um, contests in the elections because he wants to like clean the system up from the inside he's like Kejriwal almost like andar se badalna padega but he has like the worst strategies to go about it yeah it does i mean the moment he suggests that the first time at the police academy in nasik to his you know subordinate that yeah. you know maybe we should do something like this and i'm just like is someone gonna call him out on this or is the movie gonna like uh call him out on in, in this some way and then be like this is a bad idea but no this is apparently a very good idea so let's do a montage right away <laughs> i mean you know see the thing is that it's fine if a character who existed in that world things in a yeah, certain way yeah that I'm completely fine with yeah 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 so characters can be bad but, but it, 
the movie cannot see them as good people then yeah this movie isn't made by a 80s uncle right it's made by a dude right now with all the information that we've had in the subsequent years so what are you trying to say what more do you have to add to this conversation how can you be so tone deaf that you could make something like this and then have no perspective to offer other than ha ye hua we celebrated it and a uh, part of us still admires it that was my other problem with the movie in fact is that it almost feels like the storytelling i'm talking about here it almost feels like you know like how people sit in a room and then an uncle narrates like events to someone else i mean a group of people are sitting around you and they tell you like some yeah it's a wikipedia anecdote or some yeah something like that right but thing is this person telling the story is unfortunately uh, a not good storyteller like an oral storyteller so they will tell you sto- a very good story but they'll spoil it because they don't know how to actually convey any characteristics or good moments <laughs> so they'll basically run through it like a checklist be like ye hua for then ye hua and then that happened and look at how it was an amazing thing right and you be like you would feel no impact of the story because it'll be told to you as if like a chronology of events like a history textbook but not as a story and that's what the movie does it literally just like jumps from ha huh, this happened and the narration is like this happened and then this happened and I'm like okay who are these characters should i not know about them am i not supposed to invest in them should i not know what they're feeling should i not know what they want to do do they really want to do this like no nothing just like plot a plot b plot c plot d done yay uh, and for all those um, moments when you're like i want to feel uh what this character is feeling they give you like this random flashback of bobby deol and his uh wife <laughs> yeah and bobby deol smoking pensively on his porch uh and bobby deol literally telling telling his uh buddy that uh hey man i tried to kill myself but here i am like why are you telling me this dude just show me what happened yeah out of the blue out of the blue he says that and when the person actually starts listening to it right he responds to it and he's like oh like how do you feel about whatever he starts to asking that Then suddenly Bobby Deol again turns cold. He's like, "No, nothing. I'm fine." Yeah, I'm Bobby Deol. So like one moment of vulnerability, and then switch, suddenly the switch is back on to like, "I am a brooding hero who does not talk about my feelings." This movie does not think very highly of its audience. It's like uh, it assumes that the people who are watching it are watching it on their phones with like a million notifications popping in. So they're like, <laughs> "We can't have even two seconds of silence because like someone will just tune out and they'll just check their Instagram or whatever." So let's like let's just hammer them over the head every second. It's like non-stop. It hurt my head how rapid everything in the movie was. Yeah, which I mean, which could be a way of explaining why I feel like there are at least like ten scenes missing from the movie. Like it does this does not feel like a movie that was hundred minutes on the script level. Of course, it no. feels like much yeah, longer. Yeah. And then it was like randomly spliced out on the edit table. Like, ha, ye nikal do. Ha, wo bhi nikal do. And then yeah, now it's good. You know what? Remind me of remind me of Suicide Squad. It reeks of committee filmmaking. It's like people sat in a boardroom and watched it, and they were like, oh. Yeah, so some one one person claimed complained about one scene, another one person complained about a different scene, and whatever the committee complained about, everything was taken out. And the director just sat there and he's like, "Uh, will someone listen to me? No? Okay, then." I mean, yeah, I don't know what happened with this movie, but I know that um, at least dozen people's opinions went into the final cut. I'm pretty sure that happened because this is in it has no personality like you have no idea who made this movie what they wanted to say about this I mean it's just like a random wikipedia article of a film that you're just forced to 
sit and watch. I don't even know what people are going to take away. Like it doesn't even honor Bobby Deol and his charisma much. I feel like he's pretty wasted in the role. Although he does have that uh, movie star tendency of you know finding his light. Like he knows how to pace his walk, for instance, which is not something that you can teach an actor. It's just a natural movie star ability, uh, I feel, and that he has. But that's natural. He would do that regardless. Yeah, he's not given anything, right? He's, yeah, he's bringing something to the table himself. Hmm. But there's nothing fueling him. There's no like literally fuel in the tank there to like a good writing telling you, "Huh, okay, so this is what your character is, and this is like another emotional journey he's going on, and we're giving you good scenes to like build on that." No, we just like have some random scenes with your family and dying, and your son judging you or whatever. And then those moments will come between these police action scenes, which uh, huh, just do them. Yeah, I like it's so terribly written. I have a feeling like I'm convinced that somehow Bilal Siddiqui was involved in this. For <laughs> <laughs> um, those who don't know, Bilal Siddiqui is the creator and writer of Bad of Blood, which is again another Red Series production. As terrible as this one. No, actually, wait. No, I listened to my statement. Worse than this one, because nothing can be worse than Bard of Blood. Yeah, Bard of Blood is one of the worst things ever made. Yeah, which like sort of, I mean, brings to my the larger point here is that what is Netflix doing with Ratchelis? Why are they doing anything with them? I mean, they let a twelve-year-old run their fifty-crore rupee show. Show, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was literally the show creator, writer, showrunner, everything. Like, ha, aapki book hai, aap banao Zindabad. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? You hear about those stories, right? Where they have a lot of money and then they blow it on like catering and stuff. Like, नहीं हमें इटली से fresh basil fly in करना पड़ेगा. Like that's the kind of shit I would have imagined went down here. Like people were just so overwhelmed by the resources that they had that all the natural ability to kind of work with the restrictions that you know Indian filmmakers are born with. It just goes out of the window. Like you don't know what to do with. All this money and time and resources <laughs> and inputs and I think it's and especially a first-time showrunner. Like, how would he know, right? How would he know what to like be doing with it? I mean, yes, sure, he has like producers and retrolies, but clearly they didn't care enough enough as well. Like, they were just like, yeah, let's just make a Netflix show, take our money and go home. I mean, I'm the last person who would offer any sympathy to Bilal Siddiq. He went about liking anti-me tweets. Like the level of pettiness that happened after Bard of Blood is just mind blowing to me. Like you have Netflix show that you are running at the age of twelve, working with Shah Rukh Khan, and you're going out of your way to kind of prove a petty point against someone who wrote a negative review about your show. Amazing, dude. Like, I mean, that's just in like a general. I feel like Indian entertainment industry thing. I feel like a lot of filmmakers and just like don't understand that reviews are allowed to be negative. It's like. <laughs> They're like, मेरा जन्म से अधिकार है कि reviews have to be positive. What is this negative review? Why does it exist? I will take it out of existence. Yeah, and how dare you bring up these points that you will have bring out in a positive review? And I will not question. Headline you make positive. Go, write a good two three paras because no one reads after the first two lines, <laughs> and then you can complain all you want. Is what they want. <laughs> But you put the negative point in the headline, then they suddenly like, "Ye kya kar diya?" I mean, especially with this one, right? Because it's it's a uh, third in a row for Red Chillies, which is in a way possible because this has probably been greenlit before they even saw Bard of Blood, right? So they were probably all in production at the same time or in some stage of production. But if something like Is coming out. So, Bard of Blood was like September last year, right? Bard of Blood was in production for like it feels like half a decade. <laughs> half a decade. If someone said half a decade of their lives in Bard of Blood, then I'm sorry. Like 
you have very misplaced priorities in life might i just point out that uh, there is a bahubali show that uh, has basically disappeared has disappeared what has happened to the bahubali show it was it started it was filming 2 years in ago in november 2018 yeah yeah and we are approaching november 2018 it has disappeared no one on netflix wants to talk about it imagine what must have gone down there anyway we're digressing from the point i think which is that red chili's deal at netflix is a catastrophe and i don't know if they give them another project which i i'm sure they've already given right there's something in the pipeline which i'm not aware of or i just don't know it off the top of my head but if it is given a second deal after their first sort of wave of originals then like god bless netflix india i mean yeah at this point they really need to sit down and have but i think the knee jerk reaction to uh, a situation like this is to kind of wrench control uh, away from the creatives uh, which in this case is red chilies so i don't know what that looks like like to have even more cooks in the kitchen i have a feeling that um, the first cut of this was a mess because it feels like something that was like massively tampered with and yeah it had to be a mess to like come down to 100 minutes like yeah. nobody in bollywood mix sets out to make a 100 minute movie yeah and i don't think uh, the the creators would themselves go back and uh, edit it down to such tight length because they obviously did not see what was wrong with it Right. Closing arguments. Uh, about Bard. Uh, what is called class of eighty <laughs> three. We got lost. Uh, <laughs> it was such a mess that we ourselves got lost. Yeah, Bard of Blood, Betal. We haven't spoken about Betal, by the way, which is uh, also part. I mean, of I'm happy to ignore it, but if you want to talk about it, then please go ahead. I mean, yeah. What more can be said about Betal other than it was uh, bad? But yeah, that's it about. Uh, class of eighty three. Did you read that um, Twitter thread by Atul Sabharwal that he wrote a few months ago? Yeah, I did. And that kind of endeared me to him. You know, in a way, when I read about the story, it was like, huh, it's this uh, guy suffered a lot. Like this is the definition of film industry struggle. And uh, so when I spoke to him, I asked him like, sir, do you feel that class of eighty three is your grand arrival? or do you still feel that this is a stepping stone to somewhere that you want to get because obviously it's not something that you've written it's not like a personal story that you want to tell something you've been hired to do and uh, basically he said that every film is a stepping stone and uh, every film is a culmination of your journey which is uh, well rehearsed answer didn't really give me any insight but um, just like the movie Ah, <laughs> I mean, I don't think that you can't, right? If you have half a brain cell, you can't be proud of this. What this has come down to, I'm sure they had a. But that's the strange time thing. Some I've seen sometimes in Bollywood is that people are very proud of the stuff they have done, even when everyone. agrees that it's not good i mean that's a defense tactic that they usually uh, use in um, you know when yeah, they bring possibly. up uh, when they bring up like oh but sock road to kiya na ab to wo bhi nahi hai like na ha fans on twitter like it na yeah like fans on twitter like it na like facebook pe dekha hai chatter social media chatter is so positive i'm like dude dil bechara had positive social media chatter i mean social media is not the best way to kind of gauge a film's reception I, but although i feel that no one's going to be bothered to even defend this like it has no impact. it has nothing to say this film like what does this film have to say i think cops will defend it i feel like i'll i'll see like tweets from i mean maybe some lines will become turned into a meme and then some police twitter account will like use that and then this will become like that oh thing. god i hope it's the mere khoon ke andar hi positive hai that line <laughs> yeah. that was want... such a cheesy line it's like ah, 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 ah. i want to vomit here <laughs> i threw up in your mouth a little bit <laughs> oh god cool so i think that's 
enough for this section. Moving on to the new section. What's happening? So there's a update on the Gunjan Saxena front. Did you see? Yeah, uh, I think first Saxena's reply came, or her colleagues replied. One of I don't know, I don't know which what order they came in, but both of them replied essentially this week. Yeah. So the two women who uh, were kind of the first women to fly for the Indian Air Force in a combat zone, uh, the Kargil conflict, both kind of came out and uh, shared their side of the story. One of them claimed to have been the first, the actual first person, the first woman. Yeah. She basically like disproved the entire movie. She just basically said that. Saxena was not the first person as the movie was like pitching it. Which is a tough spot for you to be in if your entire movie is based on the precedent. That- <laughs> yeah, rest of that. Yeah. Because like, the other person is basically shown for like a few seconds in a classroom and walking with her once in one scene. And that's it. That's yeah. the extent of her involvement. Imagine- and then about that person is the first like the first one so the entire movie should have been hers i don't know yeah it's like suddenly buzz aldrin coming and saying that hey you know what about that neil armstrong guy <laughs> that footage you saw that footage was cut i i first stepped down then i stepped back in and then neil armstrong went out yeah he didn't even say uh, one small step for man <laughs> like that was all me that was my voice <laughs> so yeah it ma- it's basically that but on a smaller scale right um, yeah but essentially uh, so this uh, lady comes out and says that hey i was and but the thing is that another uh, woman who flew with them had written in an open letter the week before that uh, shri vidya rajan was the first woman combat pilot and shri vidya has chosen not to kind of say anything about it because she's sort of above this mudslinging she's a humble fellow she doesn't need a movie on her yeah and the next week when things kind of became heated again uh, she comes out and basically says hey listen you know what i was the first Gunjan wasn't even the first she came. So basically, just like fire is on. So let me add a fuel to the fire. While like, the fire is burning, yay! Both of them during this uh, back and forth are just repeatedly saying like, "Hey, we don't really care about the accolades or the fame, etc., etc." Like, lady, you've got a movie made on you. Like, you signed off. And- <laughs> <laughs> like you said, yes, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure no one can make a movie on you with your real name. So. You have to sign off on it. And so basically in the NDTV interview, uh, which is a nice like uh, full circle, uh, uh, she uh, went on NDTV and basically um, and uh, Vishnu Som asked her that, uh, you know, you want to just clarify the situation for us because uh, and NDTV had featured them, the both of them in uh, their coverage of the Kargil conflict, you know, when Barkha that was covering and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And Barkha made a point to kind of talk to them because they were obviously uh, one of the few women in the in the in the air yeah i think vishnu song was the first one to actually like put that like story out there and then which is what probably kicked off this whole movie thing yeah so so she he asked gunjan like hey what's up and then gunjan gunjan was basically like um we didn't really fly together her her and um shri vidya but uh, a few weeks into the conflict the iaf organized a press uh conference which is where they kind of randomly projected gunjan as the first person first woman to have flown for them and since then they just ran with it it was just the narrative that stuck and uh they just went with it and she was 
was obviously whenever it was brought up, they were like, "Ha ha, of course, Gunjan," because that's what we said back then. <laughs> so history is written by the IAF. Is yeah, the new history is written by the IAF ka press person who basically <laughs> randomly just looked right and left and saw Gunjan. He's like, "Ha, you." And Bechari Shrividya, who had actually, I mean, it that's what it feels like to me. She she said that you know it's yeah, that's what she's claiming as well. That she she flew like missions before Saxena even arrived in Kargil. Yeah, and I think this is like it would have been documented, right? Her arrival at the base, etc. Etc. Yeah, and there's no reason for her to like spew that lie out and then be counterpointed by by some you know officer down the line. Yeah. The only suspicious thing is why are you doing it now? Like obviously you knew about the movie like two years ago, three years ago. So abhi kyu bol Which she had an answer to that as well. She was like, uh, I didn't know. Like she had no idea that she was not in the film at all. She felt like her name to like she would mention me at least. Yeah, I don't, I don't even see the problem, right? Why can't the movie be about like two women at the same time? You make like. <laughs> duo biopic and you even show like sisterhood in the process what's wrong with that but you understand the from an outsider's perspective that's the narrative we've been fed it's like that chernobyl thing right if you hear a lie long enough it becomes the truth yeah so if that's what they've been saying for like 30 years then i have no reason to doubt it unless like someone provides a counter narrative which was not provided in these 30 years like no one came out and contested it which is something that gunjan has also said like i was there in the limca book of records i was there in like the if entry Entrance exam, like there was a question on me. So, तब क्यों नहीं आके किसी ने contest किया? But that's what happens, right? Like it's only when things get into mainstream pop culture that it's gonna become an actual debate. No one's gonna like talk about it if you're in the exam paper of IIF. Yeah, there used to be like a dharma movie on your life to kind of. Yeah, I mean that's just how it life is. There are amazing books out there which I have not read, but if they make a movie on it, I'll be like, cool, I'll watch that. So yeah, that's the update on the Gunjan Saxena front. Which is sad because it was a nice movie. Nice story. Kind of sours the experience. Yeah, and that happens with like a lot of these sort of biopics sometimes, right? Like the, I mean, the worst case in my mind, I'm sure there are worst cases out there, but the one in my mind is the Imitation Game. Um, I saw that, and then I read about like the truth. I was like, wow, you like really like use the term creative license like very heavily, <laughs> haven't you? Because you've basically changed everything. You've made up scenes that never happened just to get an emotional reaction out of me, and now the story is not the guy's story at all. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Or like that uh, Lance Armstrong uh, movie where they kind of you see a Lance Armstrong documentary. Yeah, I've seen the Armstrong Live, which is fantastic. Yeah, but um, the other one, man, what's it called? I forgot the name. I haven't seen the other God one. God damn it! Screw my. It's probably a good thing that you forgot it, right? <laughs> what what you're getting at is it's not good. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, so that's fine. Just just don't bring it back into your head. <laughs> Carry on. And let's move on to the next and final section. What did you watch this week, Rohan? I watched a bunch of stuff, man. My week was packed. I watched a bunch of stuff for both work and I needed to kind of take my mind off work, so I just watched more stuff, which is how I operate. So, I mean, I'll just randomly start with what I watched. First, I think I watched um, the second season of The Boys, which is um, I think on September fourth is when it's uh, due to premiere. Um, so I watched that. Yeah, more of the same. Uh, I guess if you liked the first season, then you're probably gonna be happy. What else did I watch? I watched this uh, Woot show also for work called The Gone Game. Yeah, I heard about this. It's a made in lockdown thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember we were talking about that horror movie host last week. Yeah, that's entirely shot during the lockdown. Uh, set again, Mia on screen. So it's similar to that. It's like a Hitchcockian uh, murder mystery almost. If you've seen The Lady Vanishes, um, which is one of Hitchcock's, you know, earliest. It was one of his British hits before he moved to Hollywood. 
it's about this woman who who randomly just vanishes in a moving train and no one has seen her like they refuse to believe that she even existed which is weird so which is what happens in uh, this uh, show a guy comes from bangkok and he quarantines himself because he is afraid that he's caught the virus uh but then he just disappears and the family is convinced that he's alive even though everyone is saying that he's dead because of the virus uh so it's one of those shows it's like half of it is shot in screens like over like zoom and stuff like that and half of it is like very conventionally shot i think for something that was made like a few weeks ago it's fine like it's not terrible i admire the effort it's one of those shows like i can't really compare it to something that was you know made like in proper circumstances with like a huge budget and stuff like that it's just something that was is very experimental i feel and i think it was not bad the cast is pretty decent though and then i watched a bunch of documentaries i watched for uh, pleasure like just random chilling i watched uh, a suitable girl which is basically a seema taparia origin story yeah but much better because it actually has nuance unlike indian matchmaking have you seen a suitable girl uh i think parts of it i don't know why i didn't watch all of it like like when it came out or something but yeah which is and i've read like stuff around it which is why i know it's much better than indian matchmaking i mean i think it does what indian matchmaking was trying to do so much better it's like such an upsetting film no i would say actually indian matchmaking never tried to do what a suitable is trying to do i mean it was trying to kind of get at the idea that hey this is like a really archaic thing that still happens in our society and look at how weird it is but it didn't really penetrate the people's souls you know but this one is like just pure emotional gut punch uh, a suitable girl you know and, and like trust seema aunty to kind of you see the evolution of seema aunty as well like she used to be a fairly not as high profile as she was in indian matchmaking she's like a fairly modest business she used to run she used to like call herself seema tapadia i noticed pronunciation and spelling of her name i know from mumbai because obviously this is in india yeah this is india she wasn't going abroad or anything but then you see those uh, the the face reader guy makes an appearance etc but you feel bad for poor seema aunty's daughter dude like she got married to a gay guy like trust seema aunty to get her daughter married to a gay guy <laughs> I wonder how she's doing. Like that's the thing, right? You feel for those people. Like all three women that were featured in A Suitable Girl were basically either sold into marriage or like just discarded. And you see the brainwashing that happens to these young women. Like it's one of them feels like she needs to be rescued, which is literally what's missing from Indian matchmaking. Is that yeah. you never show the. downsides or the other problems with arranged marriages yeah so it's something that's definitely worth checking out which i watched uh, and then immediately the next day i ha- i did like one of those netflix party things for this documentary called ask the sexpert also on netflix it's brilliant this film it's like an hour and 20 minutes it's basically a profile of uh, dr mahinder vatsa who's the a uh, guy who writes the sex uh, what do you call in the them mumbai mirror right in the mumbai yeah, mirror sex, sex advice columns sex advice columns in the mumbai mirror he's like this 90 year old guy uh, or at least he was is he well, still around he is he is i that's the first thing i did i kind of googled him immediately i just was checking if he was alive because he's already like 92 93 yeah it's a slab brilliant personality overall yeah what a guy dude what a radical <laughs> he yeah he's such a brilliant screen presence that guy has you know he's just so whip smart even at his age he's so witty 
like the and the movie is basically like a mixture of uh, patients coming to see him uh his ongoing conflict with this weird auntie who's suing him for being obscene or whatever in court and this guy is just going about his life then there's a bit about how you know he wishes he could have been there for his family during his the peak of his career but he focused entirely on doing his job the elements of zero dreams of sushi also i felt it was a damn good movie what did you watch uh i had a good like start to get in terms of volume and then it sort of slowed i she basically became wiped out um, because i had a couple of like i got installed a new tv and stuff at home uh so initially i was doing like jackie chan last week so this week i did like john woo um it was the start of my week uh i watched this sort of early work which was he did in hong kong before he moved to hollywood so i watched hard boiled and stuff hard boiled i had already seen before so this okay. was i was going beyond the most famous work i did a better tomorrow brilliant uh which is basically yeah it is really good uh a guy who sort of trying to get out of the mob business after he is like sort of captured and put in jail because his younger brother is in the police so he wants to like sort of you know uh bridge that gap because his younger brother obviously hates him once he finds out and then the struggle of this ex gangster you know to sort of leave his past behind and which is not easy obviously uh it's very well done and the action is always interesting as well because that's what wu is known for i mean uh, it's like Chaoyun fat with those two guns, slow motion doves, all that stuff. All the John Woo yeah. uh, directorial trademarks. Like he started with the movies like from this era. Yeah, and then I did like his transition into Hollywood. Not just transition, but like his first good Hollywood work. Face off. Just face off. Brilliant. Yeah, it's just like it's so all out. Like the first ten minutes of the movie feel like a climax of another movie, right? You just yeah. like wait. Did I start this movie at the wrong time? Like I literally checked. I paused and I was like, "Yeah, I just started at the wrong, correct time. I did not like fast forward it." I think I'm the fine. the only movie, where, the a, movie where a guy dies by missile. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of Mission Impossible movies. I'm someone dies in the missiles. I'm not sure. Yeah, possibly that. That's whatever. It's just like the plot is just like so complex and still so intriguing. It's not like. you know over the top as well i mean it is a little over the top like it's almost like sci-fi in that sense but it's still the what they achieve out of it is so grounded is that these two guys in their otherwise usual bodies and cells right i mean usual faces not bodies uh, bodies are same they're sort of so involved in their work that they've forgotten people around them so when they actually end up with different faces what you see is how they sort of almost improve each other's lives right This guy, the guy who takes the—I mean, so yeah, so people who don't know the movie. So a cop takes the face of a criminal to apprehend <laughs> I mean, there's, him. There's, I, uh, and what happens because of that is that, but uh, this criminal ends up at the policeman's home. The policeman has been ignoring his wife for like forever, basically, and his daughter. And he, this guy actually improves their lives, like, and his life in, but just because of the attention he shows. Even though that attention is mostly coming out of a bad place because he's sort of lusting after them, right? I mean, basically, it's the most '90s movie plot ever. Like, it's just such yeah, a yeah. It's, it's not just like only like over the top action, right? It's it has like an emotional layer as well. They know <laughs> it. That's what I liked about it. I mean, ironically, that you mentioned Mission Impossible, because uh, that's the movie that uh, he was not able to carry that right when he actually made Mission Impossible three. Yeah, two, 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 two. That's the movie that killed his Hollywood career. Basically, two, sorry, two, two. Yeah, three is J J. Abrams. J J. Best one. Is, what? 
<laughs> no, this is a different podcast altogether. Mission Impossible uh, 3 is the best Mission Impossible. No, I'm not having this argument now, now because... Followed by Mission Impossible... Turn into a 2-hour podcast which I don't have the time for. Mission Impossible 3, Mission Impossible Fallout, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Mission no, Impossible no. Rogue Nation, Mission Impossible 2, Mission Impossible. No, that's just, it is all over the place. We will sort this out in a different podcast, Rowan. You are completely messing it up. <laughs> Anyway, so we, I mean, we, we I all know that whenever J.J. Abrams enters a franchise, he makes the best movie out of that franchise. Okay, now clearly you are being sarcastic, so I'm going to move on. It's a fact. Um, so, the only, only the thing I saw this week was completely opposite uh, in terms of genre, which is like a coming-of-age drama from Korea called House of Hummingbird. Uh, it's like set in the mid-90s. And it's like very different from like, we've sort of developed an image of what coming-of-age age of movies are because of Hollywood. And it's this is not that completely at all. It's like very raw. It's very like muted in parts. And it's like, it really gives you like an inkling of what like cultures are like in like sort of mid 90s Korea and it, it's just like you could I'm also able to relate to it more so I just feel like Asian cultures are sort of similar in their sort of family values just because of how they sort of observant or subservient to your parents and all that hmm. which like we don't see in like western movies right there's more like individualism happening there yeah Modi G not Modi yeah that's about it yeah nice diverse list of that we watched what's next week next I think is Sadak 2? Oh, f- no. <laughs> um, what else? I mean, what? Masaba? Masaba? Seriously? Like, no one's gonna watch that. Yeah, but then if we watch Masaba, Masaba, we won't have to watch Sadak 2 also. Yeah, and I also won't have to watch Sadak. I'm not watching Sadak. That's not gonna happen. Okay. That's but we can find, we can do, we can do Sadak 2, whatever. It's fine. Yeah, listeners, we will get back to you. I mean, you will just find out next week. Yeah, that's all. Um, right. That's it for this week's episode of The Long Take. You can find us at The Long Take Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can write to us at thelongtakepod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this episode, please leave us a rating and a review. And we will see you next week. Hopefully not with Sadak 2.